one. Over the years, I've uh, I've heard a lot of strange sermon titles, and I'm certain there are a lot of folks that wonder how it is that preachers come up with some of the titles that they use for sermons, and. Uh, Sometimes I wonder myself <laughs> if I uh, if I said the title of uh, and the subject uh, of my message today was kiss. Some of you might think I'm talking about some kind of a weird rock music group uh, that I really don't care to listen to or to look at. <laughs> Others might suppose, well, he's going to preach about romance or marriage or maybe reconciliation. Well, let me, let me calm your fears. That's not the title of the sermon this morning. But if I was going to use that as, uh, as the title of the message, I would use it in the same way that a fellow that I met years ago by the name of a motivational speaker, preacher, kind of a guy, Charles Tremendous Jones. And uh, I met him uh, at the Baptist Bible College many years ago, and uh, he's the man that became famous for the KISS principle. K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Well, (laughs) that's not the title of my message but it gets to the heart of the message. You know, sometimes we Christians forget what it's like to be an unbeliever. Uh, Especially one, you know, that's never read the Bible, somebody that's never attended church. We use words and we use phrases uh, that are absolutely meaningless to a lot of unsaved people. And, you know, as we grow in our Christian life, you know, we tend to increase our vocabulary and all of this religious jargon, and we add to it many words that are actually good words and words that express basic Bible truths that are very important. But uh, if we're going to reach those that don't know what we're talking about, we've got to, we've got to get on their level and get Back to the basics. Over the years, there have been a lot of coaches come in, maybe whether it's in baseball, football, or whatever it is, and, you know, some team that has traditionally just had a losing record, and they come in, and they strip everything down to the bare bones, and they go back to the basics. Because I don't care how many fancy plays you've gotten, this and that and the other, if you don't execute on the basics, you're, you're not going to be successful. And whenever it comes to us reaching those that are unsaved, if we don't get back to the basics, uh, we're never going to be able to reach them. And that's the title of the message this morning, Back to the Basics. Keeping it simple is crucial because... This world's a confusing place to live in, and the last thing that an unsaved person needs is somebody that muddies the water. 
somebody that's using words they don't understand, somebody that's speaking about doctrines that they've never considered. And a lot of times, pastors, I think, are the ones that need this message maybe the most. Because there's a lot of times that we feel under the gun, we feel under pressure from people, for lack of a better word, I'll say perform. We feel like that we've just got to come up with something new, something exciting, something maybe that uh, that the, the people have never heard about, something that is of interest to people. And so consequently, we get off preaching about everything under the sun except how to how to how to be saved I, I think one of the greatest compliments any preacher can ever receive and i love it more than anything when i hear somebody say at the close of a message that was so simple a child could understand it you look you you couldn't say anything better because that is exactly the way that it ought to be that a child can understand what we're talking about but if we're going to get back to the basics what are the basics I mean, what are the fundamental cardinal issues? I, I mean, if uh, we've got to start where a person is, right? Uh, for example, somebody says, "Well, you know, I don't believe I don't believe in God." Well, I'm going to start by telling you why I do. Amen. Somebody says, "Well, I don't believe that the Bible is God's word." Well, I'll give you evidence that it is. There's no need in me talking about. 411 other things that are unrelated to that. If you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, that's the issue that we've got to focus on. You tell me that you believe that one religion is just as good as another religion is, and I'll show you from the Bible that's not true. So the question is, where are you? Now, For most people in America, the biggest issue, I think, has to do with accepting the Bible as the absolute truth, the infallible Word of God. But I can't address the entire nation. I'm speaking to those that are here this morning, so I am assuming, and I think rightly so, that everybody here would say that they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I'm also convinced that many people, now listen carefully, I'm convinced that many people who accept the Bible as God's Word do not actually understand the the basics of the Bible, nor do they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They would tell you, yeah, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. They would even tell you, I believe that uh, in Jesus, I believe that He died on the cross and so forth. But if you ask them if they know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they'd go to heaven if they died, they'll hum all around and beat around the bush because they do not have that assurance because they've never truly been saved. And I don't want anybody leaving here this morning not knowing what they need to know. And it's my prayer to God that I'll say everything that needs to be said and not say anything that doesn't need to be said. This issue of church members needing the plain, simple gospel of Christ isn't anything new. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says to the church at Corinth, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. 
Do you realize how many denominations that absolutely, totally ruins right there? All of these folks telling you you've got to be baptized to be saved is pure nonsense. Baptism is not a part of the gospel. And Paul said, the Lord didn't send me to baptize, but rather to preach the gospel. And notice he says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now look in chapter 2. And I, brethren, this is verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. One more verse. Same church, different letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. Paul says, But I fear lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Getting back to the basics, the plain, simple, fundamental truths that every unsaved person must know. Let me give you three things. Naturally, we could talk about a lot of other things, but these are the three things that every person must know to be saved. The first basic fundamental truth is this, and that is our accountability to God. Paul said in Romans chapter number 14 that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And you go all of the way back to the very first book of the Bible, there in the book of Genesis, and you start there, and you see that man was accountable to God, and from there and all through the Bible, you learn that man is accountable to God. Like it or not, we're accountable to God. He created us. He created us for Himself. He designed us. He created us. He placed us here where we are for a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify Him. I'm glad that I can look out into the face of the world and say that God has a plan for every single person. And this is a matter that every person ought to take serious, regardless of how successful they might appear in life. They might have their name upon the marquee. They might have a bulging bank account. They might be able to enjoy all of the pleasures of this earth and indulge in all of the things they enjoy. 
But if they never recognize their accountability to God, if they never have a personal relationship with God, they are a failure. Not only are you a failure, but you are doomed to spend an eternity in hell separated from God. And over and over again, the Bible is clear about the fact that God made us and that we are accountable to Him. Eventually, every person stands before the Lord. For the, those of us that are saved, it's at the judgment seat of Christ. And there we stand before the Lord to be rewarded for the deeds that we've done. It's not a question of whether we're saved or not, because that is the place that the believers appear before Christ to receive the fruit of their labor. But for those that are unsaved, it's the great white throne judgment of God. And it's not to determine whether they're going to get into heaven or not. It's to determine the degree of their punishment in the lake of fire. Just as there are many different rewards in heaven, there are different degrees of punishment in hell. The Bible says some shall be beaten with few stripes and some with many stripes. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, hell won't be as bad maybe as what you preachers talk about, you need to consider that it's a lake of fire for everyone. It's a separation from God for everyone. It's not good for anyone. It's horrible. It's terrible beyond anything that I can describe. And you are accountable to God. There's nobody that's going to remain neutral. There's nobody going to say, well... You know, I don't deny that there might be a God, but I just don't want to have anything to do with Him. Well, you can forget that because you're going to have plenty to do with Him. You are accountable to God. Somebody says, it's my life. I can just, I'm free to live however I want. No, you're accountable to God. And we've got to start there recognizing our accountability. But then... We've got to also recognize, secondly, not only are we accountable to God, but we are alienated from God. Now, I'm talking about the natural man. I'm talking about all of us here. All of us that, before we're saved, the natural man, the sinful man, that is separated from God and condemned by God, and at the root of our problem is Adam's sin. And Paul was very clear about that because sometimes, you know, we start wondering, well, how it is that we're all lumped together in one bunch. Well, it's because of what some people call the original sin. Adam's sin that in some way that you and I cannot even begin to understand, Adam's sin affected every single one of us in that we inherited a sinful nature. That's why the Bible speaks about the baby being born into this world speaking lies. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. They're going to do wrong by nature. It's just within them. So by nature, the Bible declares that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are no, look, there's no exceptions to that. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the seriousness of that is that it separates us from God. Now think about that. We've sinned against God, so we're separated from God. And as a result of that, we have to be punished by the Lord. 
Because in our wretched condition, there's no hope without us in some way being reconciled to God. We have to acknowledge the fact that we are accountable to God and yet we have sinned against God. Because we've sinned against God, we are alienated from God. That is, there's no no fellowship, no relationship, no connection between us and God. That's why the law is so very important. As I said a few weeks ago, the law was never given to man in order to save man. Regardless of how hard we try, we're always going to fail in some point of the law. And James said to fail in one point of the law is to be guilty of all. It's like a chain. You break that one link and there's a disconnect altogether, you see. And there's not a person on the face of this earth they can honestly say they've never sinned against God. And it's important that preachers, even today, in this day and age that we live in, continue to preach the law. That is our moral responsibility, our, our accountability to God. This is the standard by which God judges us. And let me tell you, God is not at liberty to lower that standard to accommodate us. He can't look down with a tear in his eye and say, oh, I feel so sorry for them. I'll just lower the standard a little bit. And that way, you know, they'll be acceptable in my sight. Nor can he dismiss the charges against us. God can't say, you know, I just love them so much. And I I know that if, if I don't just dismiss these charges against them, they'll never be able to come into the heaven that I've made for them. God can't do that or it would, it would, uh, it would be uh, contrary to His holy nature. I mean, how, how can God be holy and allow sin to go unpunished? Think about that. Sin has to be punished in some way at some time. So being a just God, He has to deal with sin. And that brings us down to the third basic thing that we need to never forget. It starts with us being accountable to God, but then we're alienated from God, but then we have to understand our acceptance with God. That Listen, man's most serious problem is his alienation from God. That means that his greatest need is his acceptance with God. So many times we talk about how important it is for people to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's fine. But let me tell you, the thing that saves you, thats look, that's the means to salvation. But the thing that saves you is not your acceptance of God. It's God's acceptance of you. Does that make sense? It's God accepting us. And there has to be some grounds upon which God is able to accept us. So how can a holy God accept sinful man? Let me tell you, religion isn't the remedy. That just adds to the problem. Because religion, regardless of what sort it is, regardless of what what name you call it, it can be some far eastern mystic cult of some kind, or it can be draped, you know, in all of the finery of an acceptable religion right here in America. It can be a mainline denomination that most people 
classify as a Christian organization, and yet it's just a religion because it's based on what we do instead of what God does. That's the big difference. You know, so many times we look at those religions that what we call are far out there. And we don't understand that they're no worse than those many of those that your neighbors embrace that you find quite acceptable. There's no difference. Somebody says, you know, they have to be baptized or, you know, to keep the law or join the church or whatever it is to be saved. They're just, look, they're just as bad off as a, somebody that's into Buddhism or Hinduism or anything else. They're just as bad off. Because it's all about what we do for the Lord. And He never accepts us on the basis of what we do. So how does He accept us? Aren't you glad God devised the means? I mean, for the Lord to just look down with great pity upon us and say, Oh, how, how I so desperately wish that they would just live up to my standard, that they would in some way cleanse themselves and make themselves acceptable in my sight. God knew that none of us could ever do that. And so God devised a mean. God made a plan. And God worked that plan out. And that's why Paul said in 2 Timothy, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the go-between. He is the, where that broken link is that separates you from God. Jesus has placed Himself there. And that's why Ephesians 1 and 6 says, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. It's only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ that any of us are accepted. And were it not for that fact, none of us would have any hope whatsoever. How thankful we ought to be to know that we sing that old song, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain but thank God He washed it as white as snow, and indeed He did. None of us are qualified as a suitable sacrifice for our sins or for the sins of somebody else. That would be like one bank robber, you know, sentenced to X number of years in the penitentiary saying, well, while I'm there, I just want to say, you know, serve my time for all of the other bank robberies this year. Well, it doesn't work that way. They've got, they got to serve their own time, right? So regardless of how much somebody might like to pay your sin debt, none can because they are sinners themselves. Now listen carefully. The only way for us to be accepted by God is for God Himself to take the form of a man and to give Himself as a sacrifice. In other words, God sacrificed Himself to bring us to Himself because there was no other way that it could happen. That God would give Himself. In Philippians chapter number 2, it says He humbled Himself. He became obedient even unto death. When it says he humbled himself, it's not talking about the fact that he was prideful and that he finally, you know, 
generated some humility within himself. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about the fact that he lowered himself. He reduced himself. Not did only he reduce himself and lower himself, as it were, down to the level of man, but beyond that it says he became a servant. He humbled himself. He became a man. He humbled himself. He became a servant. Beyond that, he became a sacrifice. The sacrifice, the only sacrifice whereby our sin debt could be paid. And that is the only means whereby any of us can be accepted in the sight of God. Look, it doesn't get any more basic than that. It doesn't get any more simple than that. The most religious, most morally good, kind, generous person on this earth is not qualified as a sacrifice for our sins. There's absolutely no other way for anyone to ever become a child of God other than to receive the gift that God gave, and that gift is Himself. And then what Paul said, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. What was that gift? The gift was Himself. He gave Himself that we might be made accepted. It's not a wage that we earn. It's not, it's, it's not a reward that we in some way win. They're the gift that we receive. Oh, how many times there are lost people that for whatever reason, it might be a domestic issue, their marriage is on the rocks, and all of a sudden they realize, this happened to an uncle of mine many years ago, never went to church, Never knew him to ever go to church all of his life. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, I, somebody said something about him going to church. And I wondered why he was doing that. And then I figured out that Aunt Mary had threatened to divorce him. And so he was looking for anything he could grab onto, anything he could hang onto, anything that would salvage his marriage. And believe me, there are people like that. It might be a totally different issue, but there are people like that every week that wander into a church of some kind or another and they're looking for something. They don't even really know what they're looking for. And what do they get? They get a bunch of religious gobbledygook that they can't understand and that misleads them and deceives them. And what they need is the simplicity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. For whatever reason, we think we've got to complicate everything. Boy, I could spend an hour there. I was sitting there this morning and thinking about the message and just thinking back to the days of the little old one-room country church. And I'm sorry, but I just got to tell you, I just kind of long for those days again. That little one-room country church, there wasn't any what we call organization in this department and that department and man you just come in and sang praises to God and preach the word of God and it was so simple man we have just we just keep messing everything up we just keep complicating everything and the sad thing is we do that exact same thing a lot of times when it comes to preaching 
to those that are lost. And it's no wonder they go staggering into the darkness of this world without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There couldn't be anything any clearer than Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I mean, what could be more clear than that? For by grace, you can explain grace to any child here in this building. In just a few minutes, you can help them to understand what grace is. It's not something you earn, not something you deserve. It's a simple gift that you receive. You're not worthy of it, but God loves you enough that God's making something available to you. By grace, are you saved through faith? This faith is just confidence. It's simple trust, believing. For by grace are you saved through faith. Of that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. That's simple. That's the message the world needs to hear. You know, the amazing thing to me is that, that sometimes we forget whenever Paul is is speaking about these issues concerning salvation that he's writing to churches. He's not speaking to the, to the guys down at the country club. He's not speaking to a bunch of people that are sitting in a pub somewhere. It's not happy hour time and he decides he's going to jump on the bar and preach. He's not talking to that crowd. He's talking to people that have aligned themselves with a church. And he says to this church, he says, you know, I am afraid that, I'm afraid. He first said, he said, I, I, I have a jealousy for you. And he said, I'm afraid that just as the serpent beguiled Eve, that even so he has beguiled you, he has deceived you, he has misled you, confused you in regards to the simplicity that is in Christ. I'll never forget when my dad made a profession of faith that uh, he'd just gone through one surgery, had to go back and go through another surgery. And in fact, the surgeries had to do with the very thing that eventually killed him. And I was standing there at the bedside talking to him, and I'd been witnessing to dad ever since, ever since I first got saved and couldn't get anywhere. All I knew was that Dad said, well, you know, son, he said, uh, I went to church one time with your mama and your grandma. They went to a Pentecostal holiness church, and I went there, and he said, have all this screaming and shouting and all of that stuff, and they got down and gave an invitation, and he said, everybody kept coming up and grabbing me by the arm and trying to get me to go down there and pounding me on the back and shouting in my ear. He said, when I got out of there, I was determined I'd never go back to church again. And he kept saying over and over, he said, son, he said, I, I, I feel like I'm just as good of a person as those people down there in the church. And, and so, you know, I, I feel like everything's all right. And the fact of the matter was, he was basically morally just as good as better than some of those people down at the church. He didn't see any need of becoming a Christian. He was a very quiet, very humble sort of a man, uh, introvert. And I'll never forget witnessing to him and uh, 
And finally, and he had, with a tear in his eye, he trusted Christ to save him, made a profession of faith. I'll never forget what he said. He looked up at me afterwards with a tear in his eye, and he said, Son, I want you to know that's the hardest thing your daddy's ever, ever done. But then there was sort of a smile that come across his face, and he said, But I, I'll tell you, if I had known it was that easy to be saved, he said, I would have become a Christian a long time ago. Because he thought it had to be more complicated than that. He didn't understand how easy, how simple it was. And it's simple, folks, because it doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on what Jesus Christ did when He died on the cross. There was a famous preacher years ago in London, Dr. W.A. Criswell, telling about this fellow. And he was one of those guys that, I mean, he was a great orator and he was one of those that had all of these philosophical statements that he had to incorporate into every sermon and every word pronounced just right. And I mean, he was so eloquent that, you know, that hardly anybody could understand what he was saying. But he took great pride in that. And he's very popular. One day after the service, there was a little ragtag boy that came to him and... Uh, Came up to him after the service and said, Mister, said, could, could you help my mama? He said, what's wrong with your mama? He said, she's sick and she's dying. And she asked if I'd come and see you and see if you could come and help her. And he reluctantly agreed, well, you know, how do you turn down a little boy begging for somebody to help his mama? And he went with the little fella and into the, into the slums, the scummiest, worst, most dangerous part of London and there in some little flop house of a of a room there lay that woman dying about to leave her little boy and she wanted to know how she could how she could be saved and here is a man that his bread and butter is being eloquent and what have you and he began to wax eloquent describing for her you know the way of justification and I kept going on and on he couldn't get through to her. She couldn't understand a word that he was saying. Totally confused. And finally, he just bowed his head and said, Dear God, help me to show me how I can get through to this woman. And all of a sudden, his mind went back to the time when he was a little boy sitting on his daddy's knee, listening to his daddy talk about the very simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And he began to think about that. And began to explain to her what he had heard himself as a little boy. And she was saved. Amen. He went back to the church the next week and told the story. Said, I not only got her into the kingdom of God. He said, I got in myself. He was saved by his own witnessing. His own preaching to that poor woman. Why? Because he went back to the plain, simple gospel. Instead of trying to impress people, just tell people what Jesus Christ has done for them. And that, Folks, there's no way in the world I can overemphasize the importance of this matter. 
I was so, you know, hoping this morning that we'd have a building full of people and I'd be able to look out there and see certain ones that by their own admission, you know, that had never trusted Christ as their Savior and instead uh, got a lot of folks gone. I look out there and nearly everybody that I know that I see is somebody that, that has made a profession of faith. But I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that some reason God laid this message on my heart this morning. The need to get back to the basics and simply let you know how easy, how simple it is for a lost sinner to become a child of God. He will accept you into his family, forgive you of your sins, and make heaven your home. Let me give you a challenge. You go through the Bible, all through the entire Bible, Old Testament and New, and you look at those verses that explain the way of salvation. It explains it in different ways. Sometimes it's like taking a drink of water. Sometimes it's like eating a piece of bread. And so it explains it in a lot of different simple ways. But in every instance, it explains the way of salvation in one sentence. Just one. And we've made something really extremely difficult out of it. People come looking for something that they desperately need and they leave in the same condition. God forbid that anybody leave here today confused about what it means and what it takes to be accepted by God. He'll accept anyone. Whosoever will, the Bible says. He'll accept you regardless of what you've done or who you are. God, God will accept you, but it's all based upon your acceptance of His Son. And that's just a transaction that is conducted simply by faith. Lord, I believe. And God says, that's good enough for me. Come in, my child. Will you, will you trust Him today? While we stand together and Brother Nolan's going to come and our musicians and we're going to extend an invitation to you this morning. I tried to show you how simple, how easy, and also how serious it is that you receive Christ as your Savior this morning. Please don't leave here confused, or worse than that, leave here in a stubborn rejection concerning what Jesus did. Father, how we thank you for the price that was paid on the cross at Calvary where Jesus paid our sin debt. And how we thank you, Heavenly Father, that even the worst among us can become a child of God. How we thank you, Lord, for the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus for the fact that we merely trust Him to be our Lord and Savior. We acknowledge that He is indeed the Lord of all, and we accept Him as the final authority ruling over us, but most of all, it's knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that His sacrifice was sufficient to satisfy you and on that basis, you're willing to accept us. May some lost soul be saved before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen.